Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Hello again, Intelligentsia. John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Thanks for coming to us for another episode. What you do with the information, well, that's up to you. But don't say I didn't give you any. I did. Uh, some opening thoughts here. You know, as there is no second wave of the virus. It could be a surge, but a second wave, as reported by the mainstream media, would require that the first wave was all gone. That's not the case. Another thing I wanted to point out. How many of you, when you watch your local news service and they're going through, oh, we've got these many cases and this has come up and our positivity rate is this. And they shut the little table, right? And it's got, you know, the state statistics, how many people have died, the whole nine yards. You know what they're not showing you on their little statistics chart? They're not showing you the rate of recovery. Think about it. Why wouldn't they show you the rates of recovery? The rates of recovery are in the high 90s, like 96, 98%. And they're all screaming, oh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Well, the the thing of it is this. This country does more tests than any other country in the world. Hence, we will find out If somebody has it or does not, the more tests you do, the the, uh, probability of someone being, uh, shall we say, tagged with the virus goes up. They're not telling you that. All they're screaming about, it's gone up, it's gone up. Oh, Trump this. Oh, Trump that. Oh, oh, image man bad. Oh, really? Just put it out there. And then for those of you that live, shall we say, in a, in a Democrat-controlled city or state, a blue state, how about trying this on? Every time that they call for a lockdown, the political leaders, whether it be the mayor or the governor, say, we got a lockdown. We got a lockdown. Okay, fine. If the citizens of their city, town, or state cannot make money to put food on the table, then they, the politicians that call for the lockdown, should have to forfeit their paycheck. That's fair. After all, if you pay attention to the propaganda out there, we're all in this together. No, not really, because the people who call for the lockdown are still getting money. They're still getting paid. They can still put food on the table. They can still pay their bills. The people whose jobs just got locked out, they don't have that. So if we're truly all in this together, then they need to give up their paycheck. But we can't. We can't. It'll just screw up the system. Well, then you take your paycheck and you donate it to the nearest food distribution uh, charity. 
There you go. All of it. You know, that's the problem. It's real easy to call for a lockdown when you're still getting paid. Let's see how quick they call for a lockdown where they're not getting their precious check. Something to think about. And so the mainstream media is they keep, you know, huffing and puffing, getting that fire panic burning. Just remember, they're not showing you the rate of recovery. They're not. Where do I start for today? All right. Uh, as we get closer to the election, we must talk about this. Look, I don't think it's going to happen, but it might, and we should be prepared. After all, we're preppers. We're patriots. We should be prepared. So Urban Survival Site put down this great article, Four Choices You Must Make for Civil War Preparedness. Good stuff. You know, just a few years ago, the mere concept of Civil War 2.0 seemed like a fantasy. But now, as tensions have risen and the country has become more unstable, the possibility of a civil war is on a lot of people's minds. As a result, we can no longer just prepare ourselves for the possibility of a natural disaster or an economic catastrophe. We must prepare for the possibility of a civil war as well. Would you... Be prepared if fighting were to erupt in your city. I've talked about this on several occasions. <clears throat> First thing you got to do is got to prepare to hunker down. So always be prepared to hunker down for an extended period of time. If the power, internet, and police services went down, would you be prepared to sustain yourself? Power plants in particular would likely be targeted by violent groups looking to escalate the unrest. Do you have enough food, water, medicine, ammunition, and other supplies to last you for not just a few months, but possibly for a few years? Do you have alternative sources of energy, a water purification system, a radio to obtain your news under the assumption that the internet and television won't be available? And if they are, you know damn well the televisions are going to do. <laughs> you know what they'll broadcast. Keep in mind that even after the fighting is over, things might not return to normal for years. Be sure to forge alliances with your neighbors so you can exchange resources and help one another in need. Even neighbors with a differing political views can still unite under a common cause of keeping one another safe. Then you have to prepare to bug out. Even though hunkering down will, prob will probably be the safest choice for you, be ready to get out of Dodge if necessary. After all, the fighting could come to you, and in this case, the safest option is to have a plan to bug out. To bug out, you need to have what? A specific destination in mind that you can bug out to and that you believe will be safe. A destination in a secured zone with family members or friends is ideal. Having a minimum of three routes of getting to this destination and try to stay ahead of everyone else. If there's a mandatory evacuation order, for example, 
you should ideally evacuate before, before everyone else does in order to avoid heavy traffic conditions. Or will it be more vulnerable to raiders and looters as well? Fight outright or undercover? You know, while it may not be your best option, you always have the option to fight on one side, either outright or, co or uh, covertly. After all, you may feel that you cannot stand idly on the sidelines and that your cause is worth fighting and possibly dying for. But everything changes in war, and the fight for a perceived best cause can become very murky at best. To really understand war, you need to talk to its victims and particularly its civilian population who suffered through it. Number four. Whether you stay in place or flee to safety or choose to fight, you may have no choice in regards to what happens to you. If you stay where you are and hunker down, the fight may come to you. If you flee to a safe area, that area may not stay safe for long or may have to fight along the way to get there. Therefore, be prepared to get caught up in the storm no matter what. Invest in body armor. Always carry a sidearm, concealed preferably so you don't make yourself a target. And have sandbags ready to go so you can fortify your home if need be. My friends, look. You, need, you also need to know the difference between what concealment is and what cover is. Two different things entirely. You can be concealed. Concealment, more often than not, does not provide you cover. Cover may provide you concealment. The difference is, if you have cover, you... So you hopefully you've chosen a place that will protect you from uh, harm, whether it be uh, shrapnel, bullets, whatever. Concealment just merely hides you. Now, if you have an underground bunker, you got concealment and cover until until you're discovered. But then, if you built your bunker properly, they wouldn't be able to get in anyways. It'd take them a long time. You know, one thing, that, here's, here's something I want to put out to you. You know, during my law enforcement career, and as long and as varied as it was, I had occasion to take many, 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 many burglary to motor vehicle reports. And generally speaking, uh, car burglaries would get hit in very specific geographic areas for example you might get a uh, several car burglaries within a few blocks of each other what made the difference is this car doors have automobile doors have locks the manufacturer puts them in there they don't charge extra for it use them those people that use the locks in that uh, particular three or four block area never had car burglaries. And car burglars, if you ever talk to one, they'll tell you, look, we gotta move, we're moving fast, 
and we don't have time to play around with car locks. So what they do is they'll go driveway to driveway pulling up on door handles to see if the door is unlocked. If it's unlocked, bingo, they get to go in and get what they want. If it's locked, they move on to the next car, and so on and so forth. The idea is this, and that was I was trying to say that if you have a bunker and making it hard to get into, a lot of times they're not going to be interested in trying to get into a bunker, mainly because it's going to take too much time, effort, and resources that they just may not have. Better to move along to some other target that's easier, softer to get, easier to crack. Got to crack that easy nut, man. You don't want to sit there and spend too much time. It's like getting a bag of pistachios. You always get one or two. You sit there going, oh, good God, there's no seam in this nutshell. How am I going to get it out? That's what I'm talking about. So if I say, screw it, throw it away, give me another one. That's how it works. Oh, all right. Well, where am I? You know, okay. All right, my friends, we'll be back after this on segment one. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Tired of getting censored on social media? Are you noticing less traffic to your business page or profile? Solve it by joining mumbleit.com today and experience true free speech social media. Join for free at www.mumblit.com. Experience real freedom today. Life is unpredictable, but you can count on Valley Food Storage to help you and your family prepare. With clean, natural, great tasting, and long-lasting food storage, with our natural and nutritious freeze-dried food, you'll be storing the food you love to eat. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com and click on the Valley Food Storage banner. back to segment two. I'm John Jeffers here, your host of the Jeffers Brief on the Contra Radio Network. We are going to talk about something that you need to know. And it's, how do you survive in urban terrain? How do you move through urban terrain? Urban warfare is considered the most dangerous type of warfare, armed conflict there is. And if you need to for me to explain to you why then I want you in front of me when I do it when I go through an urban terrain that's hostile and deadly you'll figure it out soon enough you know dense built up urban terrain makes one of the most challenging environments to survive in from sprawling southern cities to towering skyscraper hives of northern metropolises Urban areas come in all shapes and sizes, but they all present similar advantages and disadvantages to preppers getting ready to survive tough times. You might not live in a city, but that may not account for much when facing a regional or natural disaster. Over three quarters of all citizens living in the United States inhabit urban centers. 
And even if you're not one of them, chances are there is someone important to you, whether it's family, friends, or otherwise, that does. You might only be visiting when disaster strikes, or you might be going in there to get them out. No matter who you are, where you live, it is your best interest to brush up on your urban survival skills. Now we have plenty of examples scattered throughout history to illustrate just how tough the going gets for people who inhabit cities when the balloon goes up. You'll need to be on your toes. Know what to, to do to survive the challenges of survival in urban terrain. So we're going to be giving you some ideas on that today. Now, no matter what environment you happen to be in, when you find yourself facing a serious survival challenge, you can be assured the environment itself provides you with certain advantages and also certain unique disadvantages inherent to the environment. Now, well, I guess that's true unless you're in a vacuum of outer space, but I don't know anyone living up there except our astronauts on the space stations. Now, some environments may provide an abundance of material for shelter creation. Others may be mostly barren and desolate. Some environments will furnish ample amounts of food and water if you know where to find it and or how to extract it. Others will be a little more difficult in regard. Now, cities are no different, but they do feature one element that every natural environment lacks. It's a massive abundance of people. It is not a kind thing to say, but the people around you can, pre can present serious, even lethal survival challenges if you are forced to endure a situation in an urban environment. This has nothing to do with my attitude or a pity bumper sticker that says I hate people. <laughs> it is called hard math and the math does not lie. Remember, figures don't lie and liars always figure. So an enormous local population will strip what limited amount of resources that are in that environment barren in no time. No time. Just like the proverbial, sometimes literal swarm of locusts, while simultaneously generating incredible quantities of waste and refuse that will turn into a gargantuan biohazards. The tipping point usually spells doom for denizens surviving in the aftermath. Many of these people will not be prepared for the events unfolding at all, save what they, what, uh, blah, at all. They save what little they have in their pantry and closets. That's it. Desperation, irrationality, and outright ruthlessness or misanthropy will see many of them turn into legal threats against you and yours. Aside from an incredible rate of resource consumption and massive generation of waste and trash, the residents of a given city will turn into frothing mobs in absolutely no time at all. Some trying to evacuate, some trying to reach their loved ones, and some degenerating into panic or looting. You know, when I first started this podcast, we talked about this. And I would think, and this is, for me, this is key. If they can't get clean water, lack of water, within four days, you're going to have problems. Because that's when people will turn on you in a heartbeat. Now, routes of ingress and egress will likely become horrendously clogged with these masses of humanity, hampering your ability to escape to get where you need to go. The longer a situation lasts or the longer the essential services are offline, the closer and closer the population will edge to or towards total bedlam. Being able to deal with this uncertainty will, 
in large part determine your ability to survive in a city. Now, just because an urban environment presents unique hazards when it comes to survival, that doesn't mean the fundamental requirements of survival as a human being change. On the frozen Tega in the burning desert or in the middle of a concrete jungle, you still need the same four fundamentals in order to keep your, yourself firmly anchored on the mortal coil. Air, shelter, water, food. You require a never-ending and constant supply of all four. The only essential difference being how, the, how fast the lack thereof will affect you. Now, air. Air is an obvious and constantly taken for granted requirement for continued survival. Faster than any of the other requirements for life, a lack of air will be lethal. You have only minutes to go if you cannot breathe and oxygen fails to reach your brain. City environments can especially be challenging in this regard since they are so prone to burning and will easily turn an atmosphere toxic with contaminants, either from the smoke itself or from the rupturing and spilling of various chemicals in industrial and commercial areas. Shelter is a requirement for maintaining your body temperature, most often to prevent your core temperature from falling too low, but sometimes to prevent it from climbing too high. Exposure can get to you in, in as little as a couple of hours in the worst conditions. Any city will not lack in this regard thanks to the abundance of buildings, but depending on the prevailing climate where the city is located, you may be more or less completely dependent on electricity or natural gas in order to provide heating, cooling, or both. You must have a plan for self-regulating your body temperature using clever shelter techniques, even in the middle of a major metropolis. Water. Water is an obvious and constantly fussed over survival necessity and with good reason. Dehydration can be lethal in just a couple of days and you will be severely hampered or incapacitated long before that. You might think that being in an urban environment Water is one of the last of your concerns thanks to the abundance of taps and faucets and mountains of stores of bottled water. But all these are only tenuously provided thanks to incredibly intricate public utilities and the aforementioned non-stop deliveries that bring the bottled water supplies. You must have a way to go to procure and purify water for drinking in an urban environment just like any other. Now food is one of the survival requirements you can go the longest without, especially most Americans. Since we trend towards carrying a preponderance of portable fuel around our midsections. Nonetheless, a steady intake of calories is required to maintain peak mental and physical performance in trying times. Now, as mentioned above, grocery stores empty in minutes if the supply in a city is interrupted or if a disaster or emergency is on the horizon. You can supplement your calorie intake with hunting, foraging, and trapping even in the middle of an urban center, but you will need to adapt your tactics and techniques. The impact that urban terrain will have on your survival plans cannot be overstated. It will affect your movements. It will determine whether you shelter or attempt to shelter, how you will scavenge for and procure needed supplies, security considerations, and the likelihood of getting into are getting out of the city in relatively good order. No two urban areas are completely alike, even ones found within the same country. New York and Los Angeles are significantly different in America, despite both being among the largest cities in the world, and neither one looks like anything like New Delhi in India or Berlin in Germany. 
Differences in underlying terrain and culture and the age of the city all play a part in influencing its layout. The layout of the city is far more than an incidental factor. It will significantly influence your planning and your approach to surviving in a given area. Now these layouts can be found all over the world in cities large and small. Once you know what to look for, you can easily determine what type of urban environment you'll be dealing with just by looking at a map. Yes? No? Yes? Okay. All right, do me a favor. All right, we're going to take a break. Before we continue, guy, hopefully pay some bills. So stick around. We'll be back with the third segment in just a moment. You're locked on to the Contra Radio Network. So are you tired of being tired? Well, then it's time to get the tea. Hey, it's Lisa here to tell you about this all-natural, all-organic tea I've been drinking that has had great results for over 20 years. It's called Life Change Tea, and it's specially formulated to help detoxify and cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. This tea helps cleanse chemicals caused by outside intruders from our entire digestive system. And get this, weight loss can be a side effect. And with continued use of the tea, you can experience clear, healthier, younger-looking skin, increased energy, and a happier outlook on life. So if you're tired of being tired, get the Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And like me, you'll be glad you did. At Stag Arms, there is no no weak side. Our rifles are 100% American made, including each and every part assembled. We aim to provide recreational shooters, law enforcement officers, hunters, and professional shooters with super quality and competitively priced rifles. Every rifle shipped is built to order. Check out Stag Arms now. Log on to ContraRadioNetwork.com and click on the Stag Arms banner. Welcome back to segment three. Let us continue about urban environments. Now the layout of a city is its overall configuration and is the predominant factor in determining its overall density. A city's layout is influenced by the underlying terrain of the area and where the city is built and has terrific influence on both lines of communication and lines of travel. Now cities built upon a Saturn, a satellite pattern consists of the classic arrangement of a central, large, overbuilt hub city surrounded by smaller enclaves that orbit it and are dependent upon it in varying amounts for supply, commerce, and often jobs. A city built with a satellite pattern may have the smaller orbiting towns and boroughs spaced irregularly or regularly around it. Typically, the area between the large and smaller centers is sparsely populated and developed if developed at all. Then you have a network pattern as a city is a similar to a satellite pattern, but the chief difference is each individual settlement is more or less self-sustaining compared to its neighbors. One of these urban centers might be the dominant one, but it'll have, not have the drastic advantages over the others. The general shape of a network pattern city is a rectangular or trapezoid or some other polygonal arrangement and will, and will typically feature more routes to move to or from neighboring cities compared to the satellite pattern cities. 
Then you have the linear pattern. That's a city that is built primarily along one major thoroughfare running through a region. Typically, this corridor is constrained by the natural terrain around it, perhaps a valley, a body of water, or simply a major transportation route. Cities of this nature often result when, similar, when several smaller settlements built along the length of the travel corridor eventually sprawl out, meet each other, and then merge. Cities of this type may also feature as a sub-element of network or satellite pattern cities found along major avenues of travel going from one city center to another. Then you have the segmented pattern. When major terrain features break up or divide a city, you end up with a segmented pattern. A river, a canal, a major interstate or major railway bisects a city in two distinct halves or even multiple larger pieces, the rest of the layout will typically follow suit, being sectioned off by other terrain features or by major avenues of travel. Cities of this type often have distinctly separated districts, commercial, residential, industrial, etc. Now the street layouts, the patterns and the arrangements of streets, highways, roads, or other avenues of movement throughout the city will dictate how you can move through it and just as importantly how you can expect other people to move through it both on foot and in vehicles. Understanding how the arrangements of all the paths and roads work together is crucial for crafting a workable plan when it comes to surviving in an urban environment. Making the wrong call on where you will go and how you will get there may see you hopelessly mired in massive crowds or running into a hostile irrational group of people that you don't want to run into. Radial, you know, cities that are built with the center of power in the geometric center of the city will often feature a radial design with their streets. Uh, think of spokes on a wagon wheel with each spoke being a major thoroughfare that radiates from the central hub where the seat of influence and power lies. Some cities with a radial street pattern have a closed arrangement where each spoke can connect to the others either on the outer perimeter of the city or in between the perimeter and the center, but others will not. Cities in the latter category will often significantly constrain traffic flow, so beware of that. Then you got the grid. And a ubiquitous and extremely efficient, not to mention adaptable street pattern for any urban area is a grid pattern. Everyone can recognize this. Imagine a classic chessboard or checkerboard, and you have it. Occasionally, cities with other street layouts will begin to connect their spokes in such a way that they end up with a rough grid arrangement, if not a geometrically perfect one. Grid pattern cities may be easy to navigate, but if they are too symmetrical, it is easy to lose your bearing. Then you have the irregular street plans. and They seemingly follow no rhyme or reason and are often designed for aesthetic reasons. They may constrain themselves, uh, the flow along through which underlying terrain or geographic features, or they may result from successive generations of changes in the urban development direction and in city planning, finally resulting in a chaotic mishmash of districts and streets. A regular city must be carefully analyzed as they are and depend upon significant advance work for you to truly understand the layout of the land. Now you can think on your average urban area is being sort of as sort of a body and like any body has an anatomy all of its own. The various districts and installations form body parts and organs, if you will, and understand what these various parts of a city mean in the context of an emergency, emergency situation 
will be part and parcel of surviving for the duration. There will be some areas you'll be forced to travel in an emergency, and others, you know, you should do anything to avoid. Now, at the core, the beating heart of any city, the core is often synonymous with downtown and is often a central business district. Then you have the core perimeter. The perimeter of the city's core is often a distinct area that forms around the core's edges. The perimeter could be made up of commercial residential buildings, but they're generally smaller and newer than those found in the core properly. Then you have high-rise districts. High-rise district is typically comprised of tall buildings, skyscraper, commercial offices, large business headquarters, interspersed, interspersed with smaller but broad buildings such as parks, parking lots, and scattered buildings of various purposes. Residential districts. If I got to explain that to you, don't go there. The industrial district, as a rule, you'll find industrial areas developed only on the outskirts of urban areas where mass transport is accessible, meaning around airports, sea or river ports, and major railway stations. Industrial areas always feature large, massive buildings and wide open spaces that make it easier to maneuver large vehicles and specialized equipment needed and their given sectors. Now, industrial areas are sparsely populated compared to the rest of the city and will likely be even more depopulated in the midst of a crisis. The commercial districts are typically encountered in a strip format with restaurants, shops, retail establishments on either side of major streets and avenues throughout the urban areas. Now, your typical city may seem to have everything the world has to offer in abundance at all times, 24-7, and it is true that most true metropolises never sleep. But their precarious supply situation is entirely dependent on an immensely complex and increasingly fragile logistical system that keeps the machine of society running. Remember what it's called? Just-in-time delivery. You've heard that before. We talked about it. So that's really what you got to worry for about. Now, any water you drink, must be thoroughly filtered and sterilized before you drink it. You know that. Using rain-catching techniques is one way to supplement your stored water supply. Another is to draw water from places like swimming pools, even ponds and parks, before treating it yourself through boiling and filtration. Now, keep in mind, though, that serious chemical contamination of city water sources of any kind is far more likely than comparable water sources out in the nature setting. And some chemical contaminants are very difficult to remove with typical prepper tools like water filters. Now, no matter where you live, what kind of city you have, there's one universal constant in urban survival. You will be attempting to survive alongside with an awful lot of other people. Now, there will be the chief variable. One of the greatest threats to survival on urban terrain is violence. You know this. You know that. The threat from your fellow man occupying urban areas during a major disaster will be ever-present. This is a complex problem that requires an integrated and holistic approach in order to be successfully mitigated. Even normal, moral people can become irrational when they are desperate. Missed meals, fear, being surrounded by mayhem, death, destruction will push many people to the breaking point. 
And then they will start acting out in ways that are out of character. Some of the best ways to survive, blend in with the herd. The gray man. People who who look like they're well off stand out like a lighthouse in times like these. And they will attract attention that you definitely don't want and can ill afford. There is one subset of any urban area population you must remain especially vigilant for, and I'm referring, of course, to the dedicated criminal class. Organized crime, street gangs, looters, opportunists, psychos, and rapists. Now, they're certainly dangerous and ever-present in the cities prior to a critical incident. They'll become especially active during and in the wake of when law enforcement overwhelmed, disorganized, or entirely absent. Now, many of these scumbags will seize the opportunity and have their heydays. You will not necessarily be able to beg or submit your way out of a confrontation with these people. You'll be lucky if you can have a conversation with them at all, since much of the time they will shoot you or shank you and take what what they want from you, leaving you dead, and if that is all they do to you, you'll be fortunate. Many of them will be out hurting others for sport or pillaging to their heart's content. There's no other way around it. You must be armed and know how to defend yourself if you want to offend these people off. Now, sanitation, the threat that people pose won't just be in the form of interpersonal violence either. The mere existence of other people in this type of environment and this type of survival situation will slowly, almost gently become a severe threat in and of itself if public utilities such as waste management, sewer service, and water are interrupted. And we're talking about the total collapse in sanitation. Let's think it through. How much trash do you say you generate on a daily basis? Probably about a bag of trash, right? Okay. Well, let's multiply that that number uh, by the number of people on the same floor as you are in your high-rise building. And let's just say for that purpose of example, there are 11 other people who generate the same amount of trash that you do. We're up to 12 pa- we're up to 12 bags of trash daily created by just one floor and one apartment building. What is in all this trash? All kinds of the same things. Food scraps, dirty tissues, soil diapers, waste paper, whatever. But the fun doesn't stop there. How many floors are in your apartment building? Let's say 10 just for kicks. That is now 120 bags of trash every single day. No one is picking them up and hauling them off to the landfill. Don't need to tell you how quickly the trash will turn into a mountain and pretty soon every single sector in that city that is inhabited by people will be looking exactly the same. Aside from being absolutely disgusting and permeating the atmosphere with a terrible stench, heaps of garbage and human refuse is the calling card of the classic pestilential outbreaks. Think about it. All right, my friends. That's some of the things you have to understand when you're going to be moving through an urban environment. Sounds like fun, Uncle John. I just can't wait to do it. It's so fun. No, it is not. But nonetheless, it's something for you to think about. All right. I'm John Jeffers here at the Jeffers Brief. Only on Contrario Network. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Don't tell your family. They'll just laugh at you until you're you're just a crazy prepper. You don't know what you're doing. Don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. 
you in the meantime, be safe, be alert, be vigilant. I will see you again on another episode of The Jefferson Have a good one.